podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This message is sponsored by Amazon. I want to get back to kissing the cheeks of my grandbabies, making Sunday dinner with a house full of family and lots of laughs. <laughs> COVID-19 has changed how we live and how we feel, but now there are vaccines. It's okay to have questions. Now get the facts. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision about COVID-19 vaccines. It's up to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hey, imagine if all your frustrations about advertising your business could be solved right now. You should know that podcast listeners are more engaged in higher converting than any other advertising medium. So try AdHub today and reap the rewards of Spreaker's self-advertising platform. It makes it as effortless as ever to be heard by thousands, regardless of the listening app they use. Visit Spreaker.com forward slash AdHub. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com forward slash AdHub and start using your advertising dollars in an impactful way. Hello everybody and welcome to the Premier League Nightclub Podcast. My name is Damon and with me I just have the man that's returned <laughs> returned to hell. And that is the Woodrow. Woodrow, how are you feeling? Good, mate. I'm a lot better. Uh, unfortunately, I you know missed last week's podcast, obviously, for, due to unforeseen reasons. Mm-hmm. Was caught up in hospital. Um, but you're say, feeling better now. Right? Feeling a lot better. Feeling a lot better. On the rise, not 100%, but definitely glad to be back behind a microphone. And Damon, I did listen to the last episode. Yes. Just uh, You knew I would. Obviously. Yeah. And I have to say, well done to you and Sammy. I thought I thought you guys did very well. I was very happy. Thank you. Um, no criticism. So it's <laughs> yeah, not like me, but uh, but I did hear that you got seen by Richard Bayless. Not seen, but you got, you got buffed hardcore. I did. But wait, are you about to roast me about it? Because no, I was just gonna say it's a little bit sad. Right, it's well, a little bit. We thought he was a connection, but he's, he's burned us. Not in, burned us, but he's, in my defence, yeah. He did actually reply over the weekend. Oh, hello. Did not know this. And it was, you know, it was just some, about something, you know, in regards to our social media. And we're always trying to work on our content and make it better as or as best as possible. And he offered to help us do that. So that mm-hmm. was what it was about. But <clears throat> he actually, well, when he did reply, it got me thinking, you know, why now? I checked mm. the results of the championship. Leeds got the win and Fulham lost. So maybe it's just when Leeds win, he mess- he replies replies to me. <laughs> Who knows? Who other knows? than that, I was bizarre. <laughs> I was not expecting a reply. It was, I think it was a Saturday afternoon. Oofed. But anyway, something else did happen on Saturday when I woke up, and oh my. it was the big, big, big news. I, I, like I'm pretty sure no football result was going to top this, and it didn't. No, nah. and that was Man City being banned from European football for the next two years. For FFA or FFP uh, breaches, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, it's kicked up an absolute storm, and I think this is going to be something that we hear about for a long, long time. Uh, knowing City and knowing the power that's behind them at the club, we this can be is going to be a long, drawn out process, isn't it, Damon? Yeah, I just think like a, a real basic way to put it is: this is going to we're going to learn about some new appeal courts that exist. <laughs> like, did, like they're just going to take this as far as they can because they pretty much have to. Uh, the whole point. Well, look, we should just probably say what they actually did. Uh, you know, to simplify it, 
basically a club well, with financial fair play rules, a club can only pay players uh, a certain amount depending on how much revenue they bring in due to you know sponsors, uh, TV rights, yeah, all that works. sort of all that sort of yep. stuff. And so basically, just it restricts billionaires coming in and instantly changing a football club dynamic overnight and stopping the smaller clubs from going broke. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, obviously, we've already seen a few clubs go broke towards the end of last season and earlier this season. We had, oh, in the lower divisions, that is. And I just think that basically, if Man City, if this ban is held up and players decide to leave, Guardiola decides to leave, for the record, I don't actually think it's going to be as dramatic as that. I think players will stick with it, mm-hmm. especially if they don't get dropped down divisions. But basically, like, the, there is a little bit... I do feel for Man City here a little bit because there is, uh, like, in theory, financial fair play means that your Barcelonas, your Real Madrids, your Man Uniteds, your Liverpools will actually never be taken off the perch of the big big clubs mm-hmm. because they're obviously going to have the fi- uh, the revenue from fans, TV, w- well more than a Manchester City. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, you, I, I, and I, they breach that. I do know what you're saying, and I think it sort of begs the question, the money that is behind City. And we look at so many of these clubs and we look at some famous names like the Nottingham Forest, the Leeds that have gone broke and haven't had the financial backing that necessarily City have had, Mm -hmm. right? And and FFP is here to to obviously, you know, equalize the playing field financially for these these teams. And I guess behind this, I think it'll almost set a precedence to see I think I think a lot of top six teams, a lot of teams, I should say, around the world, are probably fly under the radar in terms of this sort of stuff. Now we saw one hundred percent. Now we saw Chelsea get banned uh, from the transfer window for two seasons, um, following their under 18s um, breach as well. Now we've seen City being banned now, and I, I only think it's a matter of time before FFA, oh, sorry, um, the FFP and UEFA crack down on more clubs for doing stuff behind closed doors. I, yeah, I just feel like City are a scapegoat in this situation. And yeah. I've got, I've got I can, a, I can, I'll agree with you there. I've got a proposal for you here, Woody. Imagine if City win the Champions League this season. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine... Like, I'm not going to sit here and claim that UEFA are going to manipulate results, but they would be supporting every club that play against Manchester City. They will be praying that Real Madrid beat Manchester City next week and the week after in the second leg. Yep. Because if they have to hand over the trophy to Manchester City, it will be it will go down as like whether it is or isn't. Because obviously, all these things that are being said are only allegations at this stage. Yep. Like we don't a hundred percent know, and who knows if we ever will, to be honest. But if UEFA have to hand Manchester City and Pep Guardiola a Champions League trophy come the end of this season, it will be known as the most tainted trophy in probably history. I couldn't think of anything. See, more tainted, I, I, and, and the thing is, it might not even be tainted. So I reckon any the one thing that would be more tainted is if they play the likes of a PSG or someone another big hitter, and then City going to lose. If City going to lose the Champions League final, it doesn't matter if it is a, a square match. Everything's fair and equal. Fingers will be pointed, and stories will be made about the game. Yeah. Hands down, I reckon that, that all, you would trump want them it. out as early as possible. Exactly, 100%. and obviously we're not saying that anything would happen, any collusion or whatsoever. But you'd say the officials would want oh, the saga well, over officially yeah. and kept in the courts. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. 
Um, <clears throat> so just on the players leaving and stuff, do you think they could actually, uh, assuming they don't get dropped down to lower divisions in England, because there's been talk about the FA yep. taking action as well, but regardless mm-hmm. of that, just concentrating on what we know so far, do yep. you think, first off, start with Pep Guardiola, quick answer, stay or go? Uh, I think he's going to go, but because it's been on the cards already. I, te- I would agree with that. I, I, I think this, what's happened here has next to no influence. Yeah. But can I, can I interject quickly? I know, mm-hmm. I know we, don't, we don't want to drag this on too much, but do you think this almost gives Pep a safety net now because of the, his recent comments in the last few weeks, which is pretty ironic uh-huh. that if he doesn't win the Champions League, then he'll be sacked. That's what he said to the media. Do you reckon this also gives almost gives him a safety net to stay? Um, well, no. Well, does it play into his hand either way? I think it plays into his hand. I, I, I just think that Pep Guardiola... Look, obviously, he has an emotional connection with his players, and we're going to get stuck into the players just quickly in a minute. But you, I feel like this is a little bit of a... It's a safety net for Guardiola because now whatever decision he makes, he's not really made out to be the bad guy. Yeah, yeah. And so... Onto the players, I think there's already been reports that you know uh, Sterling and Guardiola have both committed to the club long term. Obviously, we know David Silva is going to retire uh, come season end or yes. leave Manchester City, any, yep. I should say. So that doesn't really change anything. Uh, if Pep Guardiola stays, I think they'll be able to attract players, regardless of Champions okay. League football. I think the regardless of Champions League, you reckon? I think the the chance to play under Pep and. Mm. Well, is more of a is more of enough of more than enough of a pull, I should say, than requiring Champions League. Uh, I agree with you in some sense that I think playing under Pep is a privilege on its own and is an attraction. However, I think that with Man City being ingrained in the top four for so long, Champions League is now a fabric of their club and their play their their playing year. So I think now if if players aren't willing to go to a Champions League playing team. Why would they be willing to go to Manchester City? That's what I see. And then, and then I actually, I, I compare this to Juve in 2006 when they had the big scandal and a few teams went down to the Serie, um, Serie B and whatnot. But in particular, Juve, because they were the biggest dog. Um, that, that Culprit. That culprit. Um, but also the ones that um, copped the most heat from it as well. The likes of Lazio as well, but Juve nonetheless were the, the front runners. And, and we look at the ban, and they were forced to relegate to Serie B. I compare this to City, not to that extent, but the repercussions on the player. Because a lot of the players in that Juve team in 2006 were at the height of their careers. We look at Cannavaro and Zambrotta just came off World Cup wins in 2006. Cannavaro was the Italian um, captain. Yep. But then the likes of the likes of Ibrahimovic. He was the youngest hot talent in Europe at the moment, um, and he ended up leaving. And he, he, he did very well at Inter on his um, first move away. Um, but then a lot of these players, they're in the spotlight only for so long, and that's that's their prime. So for me, if I look at the likes of Sane for City, he's he hasn't got the time he's want. And what, what, what now is going to happen is the minute's going to be restricted even more. Yeah. Because City do well in the Cups, all right? They, do, they, they have enough playing minutes, and Champions League is another competition for players to play. Now, look at the likes of Myers complained that he got shut down from going to Arsenal. Now, he said that, um, you know, he he was disallowed essentially two years of his elite playing time. Why is he going to play now in a team where he comes off the bench? But not only now, the, the minutes to be offered to him are restricted even more so. Mm-hmm. His opportunities are even more so restricted. Now, Sterling, I can understand he's still young or whatever, but these players are only in the limelight and only have their prime for so long. 
their career lot, is their body. A lot has to do with what the FA do. I think that I has the bigger, bigger influence than what the U, what UEFA do. But that's just that's I, just I, me. If like, if the thing is, I think at the end, like at the end of the day, if City can keep at least four or five players that are the crux of their club, then I think they're in a better they're better off than probably what people would say they are. If, if the likes of the big dogs like um, Sane and say Aguero left, I'm not saying Aguero is going to leave, obviously, but the ilk, the players of his ilk, mm-hmm. you know yeah. what I mean? I understand. All right, Woody, I think we've pretty much nailed that, and I'm sure we're going to be talking about it almost every second week. There'll be developments mm-hmm. all the time for a long time. But let's get stuck into our first game that we want to analyze, and this one pretty much similar to what Sam and I uh, did last week, and that was look at a team look, looking at the top four and a team trying to survive relegation. And this one was Aston Villa versus Tottenham. Oh, it's a mistake. And Son is in. Engels has let it through him. And Son has placed in the winner. Spurs have done it late. Son has done it late. 3-2. Gee, I tell you what, Woody, in this one, it was probably one of the more... that The game could have finished 20-18. to 18. It was end-to-end. Yeah. It was like a basketball match. Yeah, completely. And I think... The funny thing is, uh, like you look at you look at the result and you see three two Tottenham. Tottenham have come away with a crucial win, keeps him in the top four race. All right, their story their story is still alive, but far out. Villa can't catch a break. It seems like every week it's another hard luck story for Villa, mm-hmm. and just I just don't understand how they're not able to scrape points on the board. I don't I don't know. Well, I don't know. Yeah, well, Sam and I spoke about last week the relegation talk and how how Villa would probably be the biggest loss to the league up there with West Ham. And, I mean, I just look at... I, I watched the game. I tried to analyse. You know, Douglas Costa should have scored. Yeah. Uh, Douglas Luiz, sorry. Douglas we we make that mistake very all, all the time. The time. Yeah. All the time. Douglas Luiz should have scored. Jack Grealish maybe could have scored. There's just so many guys in that team with so much talent... But it doesn't come consistently enough, and it's not even consistent enough to keep them out of relegation know, at the mate. moment. It is, and it's hard to watch and to see them, uh, to see them like l- lose so many goals, and it always just seems like it is just the worst mistakes every single time. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll get stuck into the mistakes because I know yeah. you want to talk about the mistakes, but Ooh. I just want to talk about one guy quickly. A po- one positive I thought for Aston Villa yeah. on the day, other than obviously Jack Grealish, who's a positive every week. I I really loved the signing of Pepe Reina. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with Heaton going down, it made perfect sense. He made seven saves on the weekend. Six of them were from shots inside the box. His mentality, you could tell when he saved the penalty from Heung-Min Son, but then, of course, Son followed it up. Just the passion. He just showed more passion than anybody else on around him. It, it was like yeah. he cared the most, which... It shouldn't be the case. He's been there for a couple of weeks. Do you know what I mean? Mate, it's, only, it's his fourth start. If he, if yeah, he, he shows plays, more heart than anyone. Exactly. If he plays consistently for the rest of the season and if Villa stay up, he's the reason. Like, yeah. he's a massive reason why they might stay up. Okay, I, I do agree with you there. And I think there's something I want to touch on because if you notice during the game, I think the Villa players put down their head a little bit too much. And if you look at the penalty, they obviously... You know, no one's happy with the penalty that goes against them. But, however, when Pepe ran and saved the ball, the first three players were there were Tottenham players. Yeah. First three. And then behind them, there were four Villa players lagging. Now, would you think Villa players want to get a, want to grab a result against a big boy? 
the first thing they on. do, switch on and sprint in, no matter yeah. what happens. I couldn't agree more. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just don't understand. I think I think they lack a little bit of heart. And obviously, you know, their captain, Jack Grealish, doesn't lack any heart at all. If he doesn't get a call up to the Euros, what else <laughs> does he need to do? He is the only English midfielder. Sorry, no English midfielder has more Premier League goals with seven or assists with six than Grealish this season. I must Sicking say, though, that, that stat is a bit fabricated in that. I mean, let's be honest. Grealish isn't a midf- playing he's a, midfielder. He's a playing. He's a playing as a winger. I understand. But nevertheless, yeah, he should be on that plane. I mean, the yeah. only two English players that I'd say probably play playing that much better than him consistently so far this season in terms of goals and assists would be Ings and Ings and Vardy. Yeah, and I mean, and, and maybe you, Abraham, but he is he's and you'd probably have to say Sterling's fallen off a cliff. Ugh, yeah. Come Christmas, and of course Rashford's been injured, so you're probably spot on with your assessment there, Woody. Um. I got a name for you. Yeah. Ingles. <laughs> Bjorn. How did he go on the weekend? <laughs> Mate, this is so painful to watch because the man the man played for the first time in in, in Yonks, right? And he, he's he's uh he's replaced re- the injured Mings. Replaced the injured Mings and single handedly lost Aston Villa the game. <laughs> Bit of a timeline for you, Damo. Started, gave away the penalty for Tottenham's first goal, went to VAR. Scored to pull it level in the second half. And then he let the ball roll through him to put Sun 1v1 versus Pepe Rana. Of course, Sun scored. Now, he has put Villa's head on a platter and said, Tottenham, come get it. It yeah. is, oh, it's, it was so shattering to watch. because you, you could tell when the final whistle went, he went down on his knees. And he got a, I think Grealish was the first one to go to him and give him a hand of support. But even then, goodness me, no, like, moments no, like that. Moments like that put you down. There's, they no, make you there's no sugarcoating it, mate. He butchered their game. He bu- and I don't think he'll get another start for a while. But if we look over on the other side, another yep. Belgian centre-back was Toby Alderweireld. And other than his goal, was having another day to forget. I just, yeah. I mean, I feel like Alderweireld, it sums up Tottenham in this particular particular game. Lucky. Yeah. And now some Tottenham fans might sit here who are listening and think, um, you know, come on, we've won five out of ten in all competitions since the new year. But I just, I think Tottenham's results, to be fair, Jose does this better than anybody. Their results are showing that they're playing better than they actually are. Now, I look at a 79th minute winner against Norwich, an 87th minute winner against Southampton, and a 94th minute winner against Aston Villa on the weekend, obviously. Mm-hmm. Alderweireld had his worst game I've probably ever seen him play. He only won two duels out of nine all game. He didn't get make a successful tackle, and he was beaten in the air every single time. He went under 80% passing accuracy as well, which for his standards is well below, well below. his usual. And so, again, this, this phrase, getting away with it, comes to mind. Yeah, Alderweireld got away with it. He had s- one moment. And so did Tottenham. Exactly. Alderweireld had one moment and smashed it into the back of the net. So fa- fair enough. Well done to him for, you know, despite not having a great day, take your moment. And that's what Tottenham have done for the last month and a half. Mm. Taken their moments, but not necessarily played incredibly well. I also think of the Man City game where they could have easily, easily lost that game 4-5-1, but instead yeah. won it 2-0 on a good day. Yeah, exactly. And I think... The, probably the bright spark, if we look at, we're obviously looking at, at Tottenham as a whole, we look at the worst and then we probably look at their best. 
it was Huimin Sun, but then he really wasn't their best either, was he? <laughs> he did his best not to score. Yeah. He really did, and, and uh, he took an Engels mistake, and uh, two mistakes, I should say, yeah. <laughs> to get him onto the score sheet, and, you know... He could have uh, scored half a dozen, really. On an, he had seven shots or something. Yeah. I mean, no wonder Pepe Reina six made so ta- many saves. Six on target. <laughs> it's unreal. It's crazy. Um, but he, he did play well, other than his finishing, obviously scored... Um, uh, you know, the two. Um, but, uh, like, he created a big chance, two-shot assist. And I found that really interesting with Tottenham play is that the way that Mura's son, Bergwijn, at points, sort of rotate. Oh, yeah. I definitely, definitely noticed that they interchange so much. Because, obviously, Lucas Mura pl- started up front, but then Homin son played on the left, but then he switched between striker and was caught on the right because he made several runs from the right. Yeah, and even Ber- Bergwijn played centrally at times. Yeah, exactly, because then it would afford Ali to drop deep if he had to, yep. if they wanted to play more counter-attacking because there were times when Villa pushed forward heaps. So then it, it was like it was like Mura and um, Mura and Sun up top and then Bergwijn and, and Ali sitting back creating play. So they, they have the ability to shape shift in in in-game, which I think is a really promising... It, it worked um, reasonably well offensively. Defensively, certainly question marks, but mm-hmm. I think Jose's just going to wait till... He'll do his best to get them into the Champions League for next season yeah. and then go, head to the transfer market to fix those defensive issues, which, like he usually does with his new teams. Yeah, for sure. But then, on, like again, looking, looking at Villa quickly to cap off the game, without a victory in their last 10 Premier League matches against sides in London, drawn one, lost nine... The last one they had was a 1-0 win in Palace in January 2016. They need to come to London and produce some results because they are looking like continually they're under pressure to, to go down. And it seems like, again, they, they just don't want to stay up. Yeah, there's definitely a team we're going to have to keep track of, which we've done pretty much all season. And, of course, West Ham play Man City on Thursday morning here in Australia. So, I mean, unless that uh, result in terms of what UEFA have done to Man City affects the players mentally, you would think... West Ham won't get a point in that, which helps Villa's cause, but there's just so much to play out in that relegation battle, which we'll obviously keep track of. All right, Woody, let's get stuck in to winners and losers because this week, obviously, we didn't have too many games. And I think there's a really interesting loser I'm keen to get stuck into. So let's get stuck into winners and losers. Oi, did someone say winners and losers? Sure did, mate. All right, Woody, despite my loser being really interesting this week, my winner isn't that interesting in the way they play football, but they get results. Now, before you went away, you absolutely roasted Burnley, and so did I for the way they were losing, and you roasted them more for their lack of results in general. But since you left, I'm pretty sure, they then beat Leicester, Man United, and uh, Southampton, and of course, drew to Arsenal. Many believe they probably should have won that game. They now sit 11th on 34 points. They're not even thinking about relegation anymore. Mate, they're only they're, four, sef- they're, they're only four points behind Arsenal. They're seven seven points off top four. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Who knows? They they honestly like oh, look relax. They're not going to make Europe. But I just think like again we doubt Burnley almost every season. But this style of play gets the results. And you know I had to be a flip flop commentator of football. But it's sort of what you got to do. You got to put your hand up and say, I was wrong. You know, I was actually right. And I think, I honestly think they've listened to the pod. All right. This will be good. They've listened to the pod and they're like, shit, Woody Damo. They know what they're talking about and sometimes Sammy. 
right? They've, they've picked us out and we need to do something. And they did something and they're continually doing things. And I think, honestly, I reckon we're probably the reason that they've flipped around this season. I think season. that's the only genuine explanation for what this turnaround, like, how this turnaround I could not happened. think of anything else that made sense. Neither. Yeah. 100% locked in. All right, Woody, who is your winner? My winner of the week is the Gunners. Like you, Damo, I'm a bit flip-flop here. I've roasted Arsenal many a time so far this season, and rightly so, but they finally made a big statement. Something that uh, Arsenal fan TV, I'm sure, uh, and the... The, the wider fan base alike have been crying out for for a long time. So they got their first win since New Year's Day with a whopping uh, 4-0 win over Newcastle. Four second-half goals from four talismans in uh, Abalmiang, Lacazette, Ozil, and Pepe. Mate, they, they would be absolutely rejoicing after this, and somehow they're only two games off top four. I don't know how, but they've probably had the worst season probably since before 2000. And they're only, they're only two games off top four. They need that confidence heading into a couple of really tricky fixtures, especially one at Everton, who are a bit of a bogey team at the moment. And then Man City as well. So who knows? They need that confidence going into those fixtures. I think that their goal scorers, regardless of how many they scored, was like the perfect result for an Arsenal fan and an Arsenal football club. Exactly. Like They could not have asked for... Time to fire up the grill. Time to go to Total Wine and find the perfect flavor to pair with those burgers. Ooh, I love their beer cooler. <laughs> you love their prices even more. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. Perfect players to score and the way they score. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Like it was I know just exactly like what you mean. Exactly what the fans and the club would have wanted. Damo, who is your loser this week? My loser is just football in Ooh. general. Now, almost... Cue the violin or... Yeah, cue it. <laughs> almost 10 years ago today, Sir Alex Ferguson famously said in an interview, when you shake hands with the devil, you have to pay the price. Television is God at the moment. Nothing has changed since then. Now... Obviously, Manchester United defeated Chelsea this morning or a Monday night in the UK. And, you know, we are going to talk about that game soon. But I just found it absolutely baffling that this game was played on a Monday night in the UK when Man United had to be in Belgium two days from now and had to play on a Thursday night in the Europa League. Two games were played on Saturday. Norwich-Liverpool... And Southampton Burnley. Both these games were different time slots, and the usual afternoon time slot, no one played. Why couldn't this game be played on Saturday? It would have had exclusive TV rights, no other games would have m mixed with it, but no. The broadcasters force these teams, specifically Man United, Chelsea it doesn't affect as much because they play their Champions League tie the following week, but the fact this game was put on. Purely, there is no reason why this game was played late. Both teams had a break. It should have been played on the weekend, not Monday night, just to get extra bloody views for the for Sky Sports or whoever had the rights on that Monday night. It's an absolute disgrace, to be honest. It gives Man United a massive disadvantage, and even Chelsea, because they had to wait even longer to play their game. You saw the standard of quality of football, which we'll get into in a bit in the first 45 minutes. For Man United and Chelsea, it was borderline a joke. 
I think the game definitely should have been played on Saturday. I, I just, I'm just going to keep saying they should have been played on Saturday. I'm done. So, so recap, <laughs> your you losers on Manchester United's football as a whole. Yes. And just quick recap, why? Because the game should have been played on Saturday. <laughs> so the scheduling is absolutely cooking teams at the moment, isn't it? It is. And it has been since Christmas. Alrighty, so my loser of the week, Damo, I, I, I want to just clarify that. Because your loser's football and mine is Manchester United. Really? Uh, yes, and it, it's weird because they've just, they've just played out a 2-0 win at Chelsea. Um, and it might sound an odd one. But they're my loser this week, not because of what they did on the pitch, but because of what a certain Sheffield United goalkeeper did on the pitch this week. Okay. Now, they beat Bournemouth 2-1, but Hendo made probably what was the save of the round in um, at, against Bournemouth to keep the game level and puts United in a pretty sticky situation so far this summer. They now have arguably three of the best keepers for their countries in De Gea for Spain, Romero for Argentina, and now Henderson for England. Arguable, I understand, with Nick Pope and um, Pickford in conversation as well. However, he is in the conversation for best England goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think United would have expected Henderson to probably hit this peak for another, I wouldn't say peak, but hit this level for another year and a half, yeah, two years, say. Agree, and yeah. it probably wasn't in their plans. So now, I don't know, should they cash in on De Gea? Should they take Henderson's rise? I don't know, but they're in a bit of a sticky situation, and because you definitely don't want Oli. Oh, sorry, you don't you definitely want Oli having De Gea, um, Romero, and Henderson in the same squad. It's a bit of an overkill and too much value sitting on the bench. Oh, 100 percent. Like that would borderline be criminal. Like, that would be terrible list management if they had all three of them on their books at the same time in the playing squad. Obviously, only two keepers usually make the match day squad, but you get what I'm saying here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, that's one that definitely keep an eye on, and uh, I think they, I think they might try to convince Henderson to go on loan for one more season. There is a concern that Henderson will leave if he doesn't play for Man United next season and sign permanently for another club. But you know, I'm sure Man United are hoping that they can convince him to buy a little time. Mm-hmm. All right, we speaking of Man United, are we going to get stuck into the biggest game of the round? Let's do it, mate. It is time for Manchester United. Oh, sorry, Chelsea versus Manchester United. Fernandes, a very strong player of Portugal. Cura Jadera! Goal! Harry! Harry Potter! Harry Potter! Cura! Harry Potter! Harry Potter! How fitting, considering that your nickname is Scabbers, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> He's not happy with that one. He's not, not at happy. all. A story for another time. This isn't getting in the pod. <laughs> what right. a game it was, Damon. We both woke, we were both woke up for this game. It was a very friendly time. It was 7 a.m. Aussie time. Um, a game that actually suited our sleeping schedules for once. Perfectly. And, and what a game it proved out to be. It was... Similar to the Villa Tottenham game, it was pretty end to end, and we saw a lot of different things transpire, and a lot of different goals that could have come, a lot of goals that uh, the goals that did come were were of good quality as well. Um, overall, I think it was just a really good game. It was a good game, Woody, but something caught my eye as I mentioned in my loser segment, and that was the quality, the end quality in the first half. Now, I think Chelsea ended up having about eighteen shots on goal one on target for the whole game. Mm. But come half time, I think both teams combined had well over 10 attempts on goal. Chelsea with, I believe, most of them. 
and only one was on target, and that was Anthony Martial's header just before the break. One attempt on target in 45 minutes of football from both teams. Mm. This is Man United versus Chelsea. This isn't Burnley versus Bournemouth. <laughs> this is Man United versus Chelsea, and I just couldn't help but sit there and think, wow, it's, it, it's really a dramatic drop-off for both these teams at the moment. And obviously, both are in similar situations in going with the youth, uh, but goodness me, it was, it was a great game but it's severely lacked quality and end product. Yeah, I agree. I think there are a lot of players that could have scored and there are a lot of players that really should have scored. Uh, Batshuayi being the main culprit. <laughs> Mate, Batshuayi will get into that a little bit later. <laughs> but heading into the game, this is an absolute must win for Manchester United because if they had lost, they would have been nine points off Chelsea and probably right off top four and probably a right off similar to Arsenal's season. Yep. And I think from there, it was really important that they got away with the win and somehow they managed to as well. So, um, yeah, I think from that, I think, you know, Chelsea were very unlucky in the aspect that they had two goals disallowed from VAR. And Damo, with those goals, obviously they were cancelled out. Mm-hmm. And, and rightly so, if you look at the VAR, it was probably a fair decision for both. I would, I have question marks over the first one. Really? The only reason I have question marks over the first one is because there is... I, I assume people listening have seen the incident. There is a push from Fred into Azpilicueta, and then that forces Azpilicueta to go into uh, Brandon Williams. Now, 100%, the push from Fred is a billion times more intelligent than the push from Azpilicueta. Yep. Fred's push is more of a nudge, and you'd have to say... It's a body lean into it, isn't it? In a 50-50 ball in the middle of the park that 50% of the time is given as a free kick. Do you get what I'm saying? Yep. And that's why that's not looked at as much as a full two hands in the back from Asbel Equator. Now, I don't know if he was trying to protect himself from just running in face first into Brandon Williams's back, but I think the way Asbel Equator went into Brandon Williams, it cost, it cost his team a goal. Yep. And... So I, I think VAR had no other choice but to overturn it. But I also think that Pretty I, if VAR didn't exist, we wouldn't have had any complaints. Man United players might have, but I don't think we would have had any complaints if it was counted as a goal. Do you get what I'm saying? I get exactly what you're saying. And sticking with the theme of VAR, we'll look at another incident before we get stuck into a few players. And that one was Harry Maguire and a little kick in. It was uh, a red card. Before you asked me, it was a red card. <laughs> he should have seen red. And uh, did you hear his excuse after the game? Oh, I did. I did. He claimed that Batshuayi was. He thought that Batshuayi was going to fall on him, so he stuck his leg out to protect himself. Now, honestly, when I first heard it, I was like, "Oh, you know what? Like, I haven't looked at it that way. How maybe, does maybe, that fly? maybe I'll have a look at it again." How and, how is that excuse even valid whatsoever? I don't know. For a split second, I believed it, and I looked at it again. I was like, <laughs> "Nah, nah." nah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I, you can understand Chelsea fans fuming at that one. He shouldn't have been on on the pitch, and of course scored what pretty much the goal that killed the game. Yeah, completely. And, and let's look, let's look at the game uh, in a bit more depth as well. So we will start off with Chelsea, looking at Michi, Michi Batshuayi. Started for Chelsea for the first time in two years, and boy oh boy, Damo, it absolutely looked like it. He looked like a shadow of what he what we saw in his loan in Palace and at the past few seasons, didn't he? I th- I really thought that to be honest. On the ball, when he wasn't near goal, he actually looked quite okay. Like, oh, I, I agree with it, you. you. I mean, he didn't touch the ball maybe as much as he would have liked, but when he did get on the ball in the middle of the park, did some nice things, created a few few opportunities for himself and for other players. But 
his shooting was seriously off. I mean, it's, statistically, he actually only had two shots, but I reckon he had about four or five chances. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think the, the stats are almost deceiving as well because he had 94% passing accuracy for the day. And even though he was involved so much, he had chances to pull Chelsea back. And even before they went behind. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was it was probably really unlucky. And I think you sort of you sort of toss up the argument. If you had more minutes, what would he do? But then you look at it as well, and he begs the question: sort of, is Batshuayi really a fit for a Frank Lampard Chelsea? I, I don't. I don't think so. And I don't think it's a massive concern for Chelsea either. I I don't think Batshuayi is in their plans at all. The circumstances that have okay. come up with their transfer business has forced their hand a little bit, but. I was surprised Giroud didn't start, to be honest. Obviously scored a goal that eventually was disallowed when he came on as well. But yep. I just, I, I feel like Batshuayi's time at Chelsea, it's on borrowed time now. And, and you feel like he almost knows that. Yeah. Do you know I what agree. I mean? He's and, probably, he was probably scraping at every single chance that he had. And look, Chelsea fans can be furious with him all they want. But at the end of the day, there's a little bit of a mutual understanding you felt <laughs> on social media and even in the crowd that... the. <laughs> He was almost doing them a service by even playing for, still being at the yeah, club. Yeah, I Do you know what I, I mean? understand what you mean. But I think another person sort of in that conversation would be Olivier Giroud. And he obviously had the goal, his header disallowed because he was half a foot offside. It was so unlucky, I reckon, because it was mm-hmm. a great piece of play. And um, Trump De Gea, De Gea didn't even get a look at it. But then as well, it sort of, again, it begs another question why didn't Chelsea go out and sign someone that, you know, they had the opportunity to sign um, Edison Cavani? And he didn't I, do it. He didn't do it. And he, 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 no doubt he would have been an upgrade on Batshuayi and Giroud. And with Abraham out, it sort of leaves him pretty thin up top. It does. And I, I just feel like I understand the whole cliche, if we're not going to sign a player that improves our squad, we're not going to buy him. I get that. But at the end of the day, even if Cavani didn't want to come to Chelsea, there were more options. Mertens yeah. was talked about as well. And he definitely improves any squad in Europe. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I get what you're saying, Woody. It is pretty bizarre that... They didn't invest a little bit, even offensively. We've spoken about so much about those young English players for Chelsea, but they've dropped off since the new year. So they clearly are running out of legs, and they how they're still in fourth spot is pretty bizarre, if we're yeah, being realistic. I, they're just lucky that everybody else is just as inconsistent, but I think the consistency levels are starting to be found by teams like Wolves and Tottenham, and even if Man United can play like they did today again then Chelsea could not just maybe fall out of top four, but fall out of top six. You reckon? Yeah. That's how I, I so was... You think, you they think had you... one shot on target all day in mm. this game. And Man United didn't really <clears throat> play that well. But I reckon the shots on target came from players just blatantly scuffing shots. Because if you looked at it, if, if players connected with their shots, if you look at the Giroud goal, that was a shot on target and it was a goal. Yeah. Had VAR not come in A few in unbelievable challenges from a man we're going to talk about soon. Yeah. And I think as well, like if Batshuayi didn't scuff his shots, there would have been a different story because the stats would have told a different story. Mm, I think oh, next weekend against Tottenham is just massive. I'd say it's the biggest game of the season since Liverpool beat Man <coughs> City at Anfield. Oh. I, I cannot think of a bigger game since then. Oh, it's going to be absolutely massive. But then looking at a team that came in and needed a massive game was Manchester United. And Damien, we were sort of messaging during the game and we said that we were sort of a bit unsure that Luke Shaw was staying again, starting again as a left centre back with Brandon Williams sort of ahead of him. Ahead of him, but I think Bay Maguire and Shaw probably had 
almost perfect games at centre back. Defensively, maybe, yeah. Bar maybe sure being beaten a few times by Batshuayi on the wing. I think they played really, really solid games, especially Eric Bailly. Yeah, I was I was amazed to be honest. It's his first game in ten months. Hadn't started since April. Hundred percent aerial duels won. Barely put a foot wrong in terms of passing. I think his first touch, he turned the ball over and didn't turn it over <laughs> after that. Uh, six ball recoveries, three blocks, and one incredible tackle, Woody, which I know you enjoyed quite a little bit. Mate, quite I, was, a bit. <laughs> I was up in uproar because, obviously, with our nightclub news flashes, it's really mostly goals, and we've had one save. And this is probably tempted to be put up because this was a tackle and a half. It was a 73rd minute coming out of nowhere. He literally... Appeared. Kovacic thought he was through on goal. Well, he would he would have been one on, he was one on one with De Gea. One hundred percent. And it came he came out of he slid out of nowhere and he actually made the tackle with his trailing foot, which is something you don't really see very much from a defender. And yeah, he I think he probably saved the momentum of the game coming from United's way. <clears throat> but with Lindelof missing like this game through illness, is is Lindelof going to have a tr- trouble now getting back into the starting XI with Bay? potentially back in United playing a three-back with Shaw there as well? I think uh, it depends how often they want to go with that three-back. I do, as you said, Woody, I really like Luke Shaw there. I think personally he's probably offered more in the two games he's played there than I've ever seen him offer at left-back, at least yeah. since his broken leg. Yeah. Um, there's still clearly doubts over Eric Bailly's ability to stay on the pitch. It's yeah. been... he he would I would say if he didn't have injury problems, he would be... Just as good, if not better, than Harry Maguire. I yeah. I think at fully fit Eric Bailly is Manchester United's best centre back. That's how good yeah, he I, is. Yeah. But the problem is he just doesn't stay on the pitch for them. And so I would say Lindelof by no means is going to be forgotten about. He's done more than a good job at times in the last twelve to eighteen months yeah. for the, for their club. I would probably say that. Bayi's game time has to be managed as well. So I would definitely see Lindelof back in the Europa League mm-hmm. later on. And then, obviously, against Watford, not too sure. But I think Lindelof now has a little bit of pressure on him, something he hasn't had all season with just Phil Jones and, and injured Twan Zibi behind him. Yeah. But yeah, I think now it's a good to have a bit of competition for Man United defensively, which they haven't had for a while. It'd be interesting to see if you can back it up against... Everton, especially Everton playing two up up, up front at the moment in a four four two. So it'll be interesting to see how the back three, if it, maybe if it changes to a back four, who knows how it's going to deal with that sort of setup. Um, but Damo, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, are you about to talk about my, my man? I am because <laughs> you, you put up this, you put up an Insta story on your personal account as well, <laughs> yeah. and you've been raving about it nonstop. And I reckon if you didn't have a girlfriend, you'd be chasing this man. <laughs> <laughs> Give us your spiel. Fredinho, <laughs> I, I actually, I was saying to you today, Woody, it, it was, I actually got a little bit emotional watching it. I mean, Shut it was, up. <laughs> his ability to recover the ball, his composure, it's just something I haven't seen from a Man United midfielder in a very, very long time. I, it, the ability f- to come over that terrible start he had as a United player all of last season and even early this season. He's going to win Man United's Player of the Season by a mile due to Rashford's injury now. No, no other player comes close other than maybe Juan Bissaka. Mm-hmm. He had, again, I say this almost every episode that we talk about this club. Most passes 
attempted, most passes completed, most ball recoveries, most tackles, and most fouls. One. So, basically, he ran the show for Man United. I thought Nemanja Matic actually had one of his poorer games since hitting form again, but Fred covered him perfectly. Uh, Chelsea man marks Bruno Fernandes quite well. Mm-hmm. Couldn't do it all the time, but I thought Fred picked up the slack. He was my man of the match in this game by a mile. And yeah, I think in my personal Instagram story, Woody, I said that Fred was going to win player of the season. People thought I just met Man United. All right, let's just stick it on. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Ballon d'Or, who knows? Next one. We'll stick it on ice. And Damo, quick question before we uh, maybe let's wrap up this game a little bit. Because would you say Fred now... Man crush wise of the nightclub mm-hmm. rivals Jack Grealish. Is he up there yet? I think so. I think there's a few other players we haven't delved into as well. So we've got some left in the bank that we want to, you know, slowly open up to as the season comes to a close. <laughs> and then maybe come season's end, we'll have a little bit of like a man crush thing. But if we put it to the people, obviously Jack Grealish is going to win. <laughs> so like you know, we'll cross that bridge when we the get car- there. The calves deceive no one. <laughs> calves deceive no one. Now let's quickly have a look. Uh, it's interesting. We'll finish off this game with a quick chat about how the top four race is looking at the moment because now with City out of the question, the one place that was up for grabs now becomes two. So we can say Liverpool and Leicester are locks. Now the rest is up for grabs and we've seen now the that race compress this round. Yeah, Man United winning, Arsenal winning, even Everton winning last exactly last and, week. And now there's helps. only five points separating Chelsea in fourth and Everton in ninth. Where does this leave the race and who do you, who can you see sort of making a run? Because whoever makes a run now, it's really gonna really gonna solidify probably their spot in the, in the top four for a long, long time past maybe four or five rounds. Yeah, I think we we spoke about it at Christmas and we were a little bit concerned about the content we were going to be de- able to deliver for the pod because we said the top four was set. Yeah. And we were convinced. We, we were convinced. We were. And since then, Chelsea have just fell, fallen off a cliff. And I know we went into Chelsea quite a bit, so we won't touch on them too much. But I just think every we have to keep in mind, every single one of these clubs going for a Champions League spot wants fourth. They're yeah. not going to risk going for fifth. Or, you know, getting fifth and then missing out due to maybe Man City winning their appeal. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, there? I know exactly what you mean. Every team is going to be looking at that fourth spot. And if, if anything comes a fifth, then they'll deal with it when they get there. Yeah. I think right now, Tottenham are the ones that are getting the results the easiest, despite not playing as well. Yep. So I think Tottenham have the biggest room for improvement and have the points on the board already. I think, and also we know this Tottenham squad... You know they're probably the third best squad in the in the competition. Yeah, At, yeah, yeah. On yeah. paper, you'd have to say that. So I think Tottenham are the one that can make the charge. Wolves, everybody rates incredibly highly, and you, I know you did Woody at the, come the start of the season. So we know they've got the talent. It's very intriguing. We're going to know so much more after the weekend, though, when Chelsea host Tottenham. Exactly, and geez, there's going to be a few there's huge games because even Arsenal, Everton is going to be massive. Exactly. And we didn't really see that. We didn't see anything in the last game in the changing of the guard managers in the nil all draw. But that game is going to be massive. But then, you didn't mention the Blades. Now, uh, yeah. <laughs> if you look, look at, all right, looking at the Blades quickly, they play Brighton, right? They play Villa. Then they play Norwich. So, so three, three bottom bot- table teams, two of which are struggling, struggling to stay in the league. 
I think it's almost better that they play them now, maybe not in about five to six weeks' times, because those teams actually become the hardest to play against when they're really digging their toes in, trying to exactly. digging their feet in, I should say, trying to stay up. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the timing of these fixtures comes perfectly for Sheffield. And obviously they've got, you know, it's a bit like the Leicester situation when, when they won the league. Do we trust them to consistently win games that they're going to have to to make top four? Who knows? But yeah, sorry for forgetting about them, Woody. I think they're every yeah, chance. You, you know what? Bloody earth, mate. You should be sorry. Also worth noting, I think if Arsenal aren't out of it already, the loser of Arsenal-Everton is out of it completely. Of it? Can we rule one of them out? Sure. If there's a loser yep, in that I'm game. I'm happy, happy, happy for that. Alrighty, Woody. Are we happy to wrap up this episode? Let's do it. Let's uh, let's stick a bow in it. Let's stick a bow in it. And of course, Sammy couldn't be with us uh, tonight. He got held up at something. So again, you know, there's actually been no dodgy reasons, probably since his date, why yeah, people yeah. have missed. It's been, <laughs> it's been it's been all fair enough. Uh, so you know, we should start calling this podcast like Damon with a with a rotating special guest system at, the, oh, at this get point. Get out! <laughs> I was here. I was the mainstay for the first four months. <laughs> Don't give me that business. That's rubbish. <laughs> Nevertheless, I'm happy to wrap it up, Woody. If people want to find our Instagram content, where can they find you it? You can find us on Insta at Premier League Nightclub, and you can find us on the Twitter at PL Nightclub, and also on Facebook as just, well. Just search up Premier League Nightclub, and we're there. It'll be there. And of course, if you uh, want to tell people about us please do if you want to follow us subscribe whatever you listen to do that share us all that sort of stuff flick we- us a retweet flick us a like and uh, you know talk to us on our socials because if you do talk to us we're more than likely to mention you on an episode so, exactly yeah. alrighty Woody I'm done me too and thank you for uh, having a boogie with the nightclub dude I-, I thought you were going to forget to say it <laughs> no. see everybody see ya Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. All this week on NBC4, new products to new technology. Susan Hogan is showing you how local restaurants are changing the way we dine in and take out in this new world. Tonight at 6. A new twist on outdoor eating. A lot of it is creating flexibility. How one local restaurant is making their outdoor space mobile, giving you plenty of sunshine and social distance for a stress-free meal. It's all part of restaurant revitalization. Tonight at 6 on NBC4, working for you. Sports Social Podcast Network.